Hey, it's Liz Kelly, and welcome to the Ringer Podcast Network. Season 8 of Game of Thrones begins this Sunday, which means Binge Mode Game of Thrones makes its long-awaited return, with your resident experts Mallory Rubin and Jason Concepcion guiding you through each episode. And to get your fix every Sunday night, Chris Ryan joins Mallory and Jason on Talk the Thrones, a Twitter after show recapping each episode throughout the season. So make sure you check out the Binge Mode podcast on Apple or Spotify, Talk the Thrones on Twitter, and for even more Thrones coverage, you can head to theringer.com. Basketball is very good. The Wizards underpaid John Wall. AD should resign with the Pelicans. The Nets actually won the Celtics trade. Basketball is very good. Hello and welcome to the Ringer NBA show. This is the group chat. We made it, guys. It's the playoffs. I'm Justin Verrier. Joining me, as always, Paolo Getty. You can feel the excitement in your voice. Definitely. I'm not excited about a lot, but I'm excited about the postseason. Uh, filling in for Haley O'Shaughnessy, the man, the legend, Chris Ryan. One Irishman for another. <laughs> <laughs> Did I sign, uh, sign sound Irish? I know, I'm no, just me, I, me and Haley. Oh, yes. Yes, indeed. Uh, guys, we did it. Regular season is over. Last night, we settled everything. All debts are done. We're ready to move on to the real season where, where the strong survive. I don't know what I'm doing here. Yeah. <laughs> you, you've been reading too much Game of Thrones. Yeah, like, kind of pivoting to Game of Thrones already. If you're in the office, it just kind of like filters through you like osmosis. Um, so yeah, everything got set last night. Uh, we have our eight matchups. Today, we're going to go over the storylines that probably will define the playoffs here. Uh, but first, right off the top, news never stops. The drama in the NBA keeps on going. The Sacramento Kings this morning, uh, it was reported by Adrian Wojnarowski that Vladi Divac is going to fire Dave Yeager. He hasn't as of yet. We're recording this at 10 a.m. Pacific time. Actually, Kings just fired him. Oh, so, so they did it. There you go. <laughs> we're at the point with these newsbreakers where like, we know it. <laughs> in advance and then we catch up to it the actual event happening later but Dave Yeager is out after what was a banner season uh, for the Sacramento Kings really turned that franchise around uh, Paolo what are, what's your instant reaction from the news today? It's weird that gaining 13 wins over the course of one season and this happening is not surprising you know what I'm saying like in a lot of ways it was kind of like it's not a good look because Dave Yeager took a team that was you know, struggling and revamped it, you know, made them play fast and centered it around the Aaron Fox and got 13 wins out of it. And yet all year long, we kept hearing about how there was discord within the franchise between, you know, some of the front office and Dave Yeager. And so this feels weirdly expected, even if it's not good, I think. Chris, you're taking this hard. Well, no, I mean, this is my favorite episode of Veep is, okay. is the, King, the King's power struggle. Uh, it's a little bit more complicated than just like Dave Yeager died so that the Kings can live because mm-hmm. Dave Yeager has some history of of butting heads with his bosses, right? Yeah. So especially in Memphis where he tried to orchestrate or at least reportedly tried to orchestrate a move to Minnesota where he would return to his like his home state team, I mm-hmm. guess, the, the Timberwolves. And that went poorly for him ultimately. <laughs> and he's... It, there wasn't much of a honeymoon in Sacramento. And part of that is because Sacramento notoriously has this kind of nest of vipers uh, office structure, like front, front office structure and, and culture there where there's Vladi, there's Vivek. There's also Brandon Williams, who I think Dave 
was not getting along with, if I remember correctly. He's the one who had, he yeah. tried to have make leave practice over the course of the season. And I think Jaeger's just a guy who has a lot of self-confidence and probably thinks he should have way more of a say in front office decisions. Yeah, I think there's some McNulty in yeah. Dave Yeager. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know about his extracurriculars, but in terms of just like, he's, he's very good at his job, but tends to butt up against uh, the establishment a little bit. And like you're saying, there's, there's this big track record of it. Uh, I think the interesting thing is when teams have success, the people that we attribute the success to success to doesn't necessarily jive with who like how it's getting divvied up within the franchise. Yeah, sure. Yeah, sure, sure. Dave Yeager thinks that the the Kings jump into ninth place this year was his result, and I think we kind of yeah. Think that that's as what I'm well. saying. The public perception is seems to be that as well, right? Whereas Vlade probably looks at all the draft picks that he's accumulated, especially mm-hmm. Marvin Bagley, who kind of uh, quitted himself well, even though he's not Luka Doncic, seems like a, a significant piece for that team. I, I wonder if he looks at the situations like, actually, this is my doing, and I'm going to get a guy that like I like in there. Mm-hmm. And the guys that are kind of talked about now, Luke Walton's, uh, I think it was reported by Sam Amick, uh, seems to be among the front runners. Yep. I actually don't think that's a bad look. I mean, Luke, it's, not, it's not a bad look for either party, especially yeah. if the Kings are basically trying to uh, put together Warriors, what, like slightly east? Yeah. I guess my concern with that is that. If you, I mean, obviously there are other reasons why they are firing um, Jaeger, but if you're going to get an upgrade of some sort to take the team to a next level that it needs to go, and that is into the playoffs, this doesn't read as kid to Mike Budenholzer for me. It just feels like a like a horizontal a lateral thing. move. Yeah, yeah, exactly. What about Jaeger to the Lakers? Ooh, Ooh, I like that. That's interesting. What if they just swap jobs? I'm just, I'm, I just think that would be an interesting. Uh, He's he's pretty tactically astute. I think I think mm-hmm. it would be an interesting uh, side, like an interesting move. I you know you you Dave Yeager probably for as much as like he you know appreciated what like he appreciates his own accomplishments in Sacramento. I think imagines himself destined for bigger things, mm-hmm. and yeah. um, it'll be curious to see where he winds up. I, I this morning we were talking about this. I was like, I don't know if this is great news for Ryan Saunders in Minnesota, who had been rumored to have kind of solidified his hold on the permanent head coaching job. Um, but you know, Dave Yeager's often flirted with the Timberwolves and it's all, and the Timberwolves are another organization where it's kind of unclear who runs it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that in one hand, on one hand, that would be a possibly a place for Yeager to go to have a little bit more control than he's had in the past. On the other hand, it could be a place where he would have the same problems he always runs into, which is like these kinds of warring factions within a front office and an owner who's like in and out of touch with with like how things are going there. Yeah, I think the Lakers option is particularly interesting. I think Dave is like he's a grinder. So in that sense, I wonder how he would jive well with LeBron. Depends on who's playing with LeBron next year, I guess, right? Yeah, and I, I think Jaeger also has a relationship with Pop. And obviously LeBron looks to Pop as like kind of the gold standard. Yeah. So I wonder if Pop gives him a seal of approval then. That gives him clout with LeBron. I guess the other view on it is like you're gonna bring in a guy who has butted up against you know front office people in the middle of a front office situation that is very uh, unstable, shall mm-hmm. we say? Yeah. So that's well, I, I, I we've we talked about this a lot this season as people have griped about their coaches, like fans in the at the ringer have griped about the coaches, or we've read that people are unsatisfied with the coaches who are uh, who are running their teams. And I do think that there's a little bit of a head coaching drought right now. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of talent out there. There's probably a lot of really worthwhile assistants who deserve a shot. But just in terms of, like, sticker shock, sticker value, like, okay, 
this is the Brad Stevens coming in. This is like, or this is a Phil Jackson level, like the kind of guy who pr- puts you over the edge. It's a little bit of a mystery as to who that person is. I mean, people have second guessed a lot of Brett Brown's like game decision making for the Sixers. And it's kind of like, well, I don't really know who do you bring in here who's yeah. like the obvious step up from Brett Brown, right? And that's the same question that I think a lot of the teams are going to have to ask themselves, especially as these coaches that we're talking about tend to be pretty expensive. Yeah, I mean, even if it is a lateral move, even if it is a Luke Walton, I guess just if it becomes a workplace issue, this is this is these things happen. Yeah, no, and, no, definitely, for sure. And if Lottie is the guy in charge there and he wants his guy in charge, I think uh, the more I think about this, I think if they make the right hire, this is all going to be fine. Yeah. Now, I don't know if that's discounting what Dave has done, but uh, I, I guess we'll see. I, I'm still pretty high on the Kings. I mean, future. the blueprint is there, right? The, what the, how the way they played this season is the way they should play going forward. Right. All right, let's get into the playoffs here. Uh, we have 10 storylines uh, that we're going to go over, the ones that we're kind of tracking throughout this entire postseason, which is going to last, what, six months, I believe is <laughs> telling this thing. Yeah. <laughs> the, most, the most interesting one was settled last night. It ends with Adam Silver breaching the wall and walking the White Walkers <laughs> through. It's not a crossover on today's episode, but that's basically our site in microcosm. Uh, so the Houston Rockets ended up falling to the four seed, which is not good because they face a Utah Jazz team in the first round that I think is going to give them trouble in ways that maybe some people don't expect. I think Houston uh, has been on a tear here over the second half of the season and has really kind of re-cemented itself as, as the biggest challenger to the Warriors, if not in the NBA, then definitely in the West. But they're in a position now, if they get through the first round, then they're going to face the Warriors in the second round instead of the Western Conference Finals. Who benefits more, I guess, from that situation? The Warriors or the Rockets? So I, I think the 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 obvious answer is the Rockets because it's less time for Chris Paul to get hurt. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. It's it's if they can take care of business against Utah, they they have if they can keep Chris Paul healthy for seven games against the Warriors, presumably it gives them a better chance at beating the Warriors in a seven game series. Whereas getting to the end of a long you know a, a long conference playoffs run and then getting seven games against the Warriors would be a little bit more challenging. Yeah, it's weird how that works because so the, I don't think the Jazz are going to be, and I've been a Jazz doubter, if you will, a little bit for the early part of the season. Mm-hmm. Both of those teams, the Rockets and Jazz, have the best net rating since the All-Star break, I think, and have the best record. So that they're getting that they're having to face each other in round one is not going to be like, I'm not penciling that in as like a five-game series for the Rockets or anything like that. Like That could go seven in itself and cause the same fatigue uh, concerns worth thinking about. But I do agree that it makes it, well, for us, it makes it more interesting to see Warriors Rockets earlier just mm-hmm. because it's it'll it'll make the second Yeah, this is the thing fun. is I, I feel like it's just, what's nice about this year's postseason is the, it's new. You know, we're yeah. going to have somebody coming out of that lower or that second bracket in the West, you know, that, that, that the 2-7 bracket. Uh, the Nuggets, the Thunder, the Blazers, the Spurs, one of those teams, are going to be in the conference finals. And that's pretty cool. And it's going to be neat to see that. And then on the other hand, obviously, we have a LeBron-less East. So for me, I mean, I, I think that the, the Houston's 3-1 against the Warriors this season, I believe. I think that's and they've And through the, the, the four total games, they've only been decided by a total of 14 points. And a couple of them have gone to overtime. So I, I think we're in for... It'll be really cool because usually you have to wait for the conference finals for it to feel really electric. And this is going to be like, 
the two best teams in the NBA, with the exception of Milwaukee and Toronto. Like, I mean, this is this is this is about as good as it gets for a second round matchup. If we're doing the TV crossover thing, it does feel like how certain prestige TV did the penultimate like kind yes. of thing. That's the yes. big episode and the last <laughs> this one. This is the stringer wow. episode. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. uh, I guess I'm more concerned that they face Utah in round one. Yeah, interesting. Just because. Utah's defense, as Paul kind of alluded to, like they've been a very good team overall, but their defense in particular. Do you want to tell me whether or not Rudy Gobert is going to make an appearance in this postseason? <sighs> That's the question. But I do think they're more versatile than they were last year. So that if there is hope that he can stay on the court against a team that's going to stretch him out, uh, I, I think that they're better positioned for that. I think they have more hope for that. Uh, I think but, he has the edge on Capella specifically. So if Capella's in there, I think like that'll be interesting. Because I think... I think I saw somewhere, I don't know who had this stat, that Capella's been a, a, like his net rating or something is like a minus double digit number when, uh, like, when facing the Jazz this season. So, yeah. I mean, on the other hand, you know, if Kyle Corver's on the court, the, like, the Rockets are going to find him and match him up against Harden. Harden's going to do his thing. And so maybe it doesn't matter. Maybe this is going to be shorter than I expect, but they also have more of these, like, wing types that they could throw at, at Harden. And I just think that, like, they're a physical defense, they're a good defense. Uh, the Rockets aren't a particularly like effective transition team, so I don't think they're going to hurt them that. They're going to be playing more in the half court. I just think it's like, even if this goes six or seven games, which is what I'm anticipating, mm-hmm. that adds up. And so while Chris Paul may be more fresh because he's not, like it doesn't take an extra round to get to the Warriors, I think it's going to be a tough six games. Okay, yeah. So that would be the the worry there. Um, Do I want to hold you to a... a- so I, I assume you're you're gonna say Rockets over Jazz. Yeah. Can I hold you to a Warriors Rockets prediction? If everybody's healthy? I'm leaning Rockets. Yeah. I wanna be I that like guy. It. I like it. I don't fully believe myself <laughs> I think we all as I'm be saying that. I wanna be the guy <laughs> who believes yeah, i I mean I think the Warriors are gonna win in like six. I think it'll go seven. I'll go Warriors in seven. Okay. I mean, we talked about this. We did a video series on, on the site the other day, me and Danny Chow. It's called De- Dethroning the Warriors. It's Th- very good. Thank you, Chris. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Mom. <laughs> no, it, it, it comes down to, like, can you trust the the Daniel Houses of the world? Can you trust Amon Shumpert? Because they don't have Ariza in there. I don't think Ariza was as big of a deal as I think uh, a lot of people made him out to be, especially in the offseason mm-hmm. when uh, he fled and, and they basically had to fill that spot on the fly. But it's much more of a wild card. You just don't have the same level of certainty you had coming off of a 65-win season where all these guys have been playing together, most of them for a while. Yeah. So. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I do hope, though, that they do get past the Jazz. Because I was looking at this last night, and the Warriors could essentially get to the finals playing the Clippers, the Jazz, and like the, the Nuggets, for example. Which, mm-hmm. not, to, not to say the, any of those three teams are not good or haven't had good seasons, but that's a far less uh, tough path than if they were to get, you know, Warriors and then Thunder in, in the, uh, I guess just matchups wise, right? Because yeah. the, the, the Nuggets are the two seed, so, you know, that, that carries some weight. Well, let's talk about the Nuggets real quickly. I'm, I'm jumping around here, but it, see, did any team, like the, the way that this, the schedule broke or the playoff bracket broke, did any team do better than the Nuggets? They are now no. the two seed, they're going up against a San Antonio team that, you know, is veteran and, and does all the things that the Spurs teams usually do. Me but and Paolo, though. I, 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 I know exactly I'm, what we're about I'm to do. I'm so excited about this. Let me get through this. I, can't, I cannot wait to bet into the Nuggets. Really? Yeah. 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 Is there I, that much pessimism? Not pessimism. It's, not, it's, just, yeah. it's just skepticism. It's just like if there's any team 
of the of like the upper echelon of the NBA that I am like I'm I'm I want to be skeptical about or that I feel like I can be skeptical about. It's the Nuggets just because they're untested in this kind of situation. Yeah, it's a combination of of that first time guys, a bunch of young guys leading the team, not just being a part of the team, but leading the team, and also the chess match between Mike Malone and, and Greg Popovich. Like I think we are collectively underestimating because they don't have. I don't know. Maybe some will argue that Jokic is that superstar that they have, but I think because they don't have a bona fide top five superstar, like say somebody like the Rockets would, Pop, I think, has a, an advantage in that coaching matchup, not just because he's Pop, but because he can sort of arrange the game plan toward limiting whatever, you know, whatever advantages the Nuggets can bring and and sort of flummox them in, in a way, especially with defense and, and just the way they play. And so I'm kind of really looking forward to that. Yeah, I mean, the, the Nuggets have holes, and we can all spot them. Uh, if Jokic is the guy, I don't think he's he's necessarily acquitted himself. I mean, two games ago, he had two points against the Jazz and got thrown out mm-hmm. uh, based on fouls. I'm, I, I'm personally like just wiping the last two weeks off the books, though. Of like, however, like when I'm looking around at numbers and I'm looking around at performances, it's like you just never know what you're going to get in the last two weeks of an NBA season. So I, I totally hear you. And I don't mm-hmm. think Jokic is a day in, day out guy right now, even though he, I'd say he's top 10 player, obviously, but I think it's possible that he shows up and lays an egg. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think actually the Nuggets have a secretly tough road here. I think they might have the easiest road of all of them. I think. I mean, it's I, better I, than facing the Warriors in round two, if that's what you're yeah, saying. Yeah, yeah, no. I, I, I don't disagree with all of the points you guys are making, and I am worried about the Nuggets more than any other top four seed on either side of the conferences. Um, but to get the Spurs and then potentially a Blazers team without Nurkic, uh, or Thunder, Thunder, or the Thunder. I, that, that's a pretty here's good break. Here's what I love about this: is for the last like five or six years to hype ourselves up for like the season and to keep ourselves going throughout the rest of the regular season. I feel like I've I've been an active part of. Oh my god! Shoot the Western Conference playoffs into my veins. It's going to be a battle royale. Yeah. And then you get there and you're like, oh, like two teams matter. This is just one where I you could tell me any one of the four teams in the bottom of that bracket is going to the Western Conference Finals, and I'd be like, there's a path. That's that's I don't think I've seen that in like seven yeah. eight years. I don't I don't know like the the idea that the Thunder could backdoor a Western Conference uh, Finals appearance here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's it's not just yeah like it seems very plausible. Like it, I, it, yeah, it does. they're the more talented team on that side of the bracket. Yeah, or you could or Portland could. I'm like I definitely yeah. could see Portland winning in five and just marching right there. Like it, it it's def- there's there's a lot in play here where uh, once once the postseason starts, like I think you throw a lot of your learnings out. Mm-hmm. You believe in seating. You believe in regular seating. Yeah, well, I mean, shock. Give me shock. It's more that I just don't want the past seven months of my life to be I know. I know. I mean, that's the that's yeah. the trade-off we make, right? It's yeah. like, do we want the regular season to teach us things and mean something and how you know your net rating matters and everything versus I can flip a switch? There's a couple of switch flip teams in here. There's also a couple of streaky teams in here. And there's some really good coaches in this in this bottom half of the bracket. So I don't I don't know who's going to show up. It'll be really interesting. It's, I think a lot of it obviously depends on to the, the extent to which Paul George aggravated his shoulder because Paul George I think is the best player in that side of the bracket. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if he's got one arm, then then that becomes a, a harder conversation to have. And they've been so streaky that I don't know who they are now. Right. And to go back to your point about throwing away the last two weeks, they've just had they've stumbled to the finish line. And I don't know. I'm not somebody who like kind of like you. I don't think that matters. I think they can be one of those. Well, teams they finished are, seven and three. 
they 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 won their well, they won their last five. Yeah, I mean, I'm just no, I mean, it doesn't true. matter, yeah. but I'm just saying like they right. did correct course a little bit. Yeah, I guess with with George specifically, yes. he yeah, has yeah. fallen off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't really know what his status is. I, I guess the question here are some teams just better off or better suited to be playoff teams. I think the Thunder are the primary example of that. I mean, if we're just saying best player wins the series, right. Paul George is going to go in if healthy, which is a big if. He's going to go into a lot of these series, and he's probably going to have the potential to win them. Uh, I would say in that Thunder, and even in that Blazers series, I'm still skeptical. Like, who are they turning to if Paul isn't 100%? And we've seen that throughout the, the second half of the season. It's a, just Russell just isn't as, uh, you know, reliable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And their defense is just kind of up and down. It, it's just almost as if if Paul isn't an MVP candidate, every single game, every single minute... I, I just don't know if they have the horses to really compete with a lot of these teams. Right. I think the identity clash there is interesting because I think the Blazers are a team built around Dame, but that knows that they are built around Dame, whereas the Thunder really should be all centered around Paul George, but they can sort of fluctuate from that and, and then veer, veer off if, if Russ gets like a little, I don't know, shot hungry. And I think that'll be interesting to see how that happens. Where I think the the Blazers, though, I mean, I think they've gone 0-4 against the Thunder in the regular season. Right, they tried to avoid this matchup yeah. by playing nobody yesterday and somehow still won that still game. Still won that game, yeah. So, it, it's not a good sign. I wonder, like, what the conversation is like with your players. Like, so we tried to avoid this team, but we, we actually have to play them yeah. seven times now. <laughs> we were clearly afraid of them, but I guess let's give this a go. Uh, it's not a good sign. Uh, let's flip to the East sure. now, just because, uh, well, Chris, since we have you here... <laughs> Is this all I'm good for? <laughs> <laughs> no, we, we love you. Uh, clearly, the Sixers are in a state... I don't know if disarray is the right word. More in just some sort of fog, perhaps, because the status of Joel Embiid now is an open question. There are these vague reports that he may not be ready for the playoffs. Well, here, here's what happened. is They've been doing a lot of load management stuff. He's, he's not played a ton since the All-Star break. I think he's missed 14 of their last 24 games is the number I think I saw. And uh, he's got some soreness in his left knee. As with every Sixers injury, there's just like almost too much information and not enough information. So right. mm-hmm. you hear a lot about like his underwater jogging that he's doing and all the like weird uh, Doha like clinics that are in play. Yes. But then you don't actually hear like it's it's this muscle and he'll be back on this day. Yeah. It's a lot of like, it's really interesting yeah. because we're going to get the frisson of the tendons to to mold <laughs> with the like rings of Saturn. Yeah. And then it's like, is he is he coming back? Like, what's, <laughs> right. like what percentage right. is he at? And then suddenly Twitter is filled with screenshots of the press release where it says like, oh, this is at, like, you know yeah. what I'm saying? And, and then, and then, and then so this was a classic Sixer situation is yesterday before the last game, Elton Brand addressed the media. There was like a pretty honestly innocuous question about Embiid. And, and Elton Brand was like, I'm optimistic that he will be available this weekend. And mm-hmm. that they there was and that there seems to be some concern that he'll miss game one, and this was compounded by the fact that after the game, Brett Brown addressed the media, and when people started saying, "So like, what's up with Joel and B missing the playoffs, missing the first game of the playoffs?" He's just like, "I'm not answering any more questions about Joel." <laughs> so that was it. Just it, which which might have just been Brett Brown being like, "We just won 50 games twice in a row after being the worst team in the league yeah. for most of this decade," and I'm excited, and you should be excited. And we're the third seed, and you're asking me about whether this guy is going to play in the first game. I, I have no idea what he was exasperated about, but it was just like a classic Sixers situation that sort of obscures the fact that 
their starting five, if they're if just even if they're just on the floor, regardless of how healthy they are, is a top five starting five in the in the league, in in terms of like what they're capable of doing. And as to your point about like the rotation shorten, it's really about your best six or seven guys, and mm-hmm. mostly about your best five. That you know that that starting five is going to take the Sixers as far as they go. So I am I am concerned, but I'm not alarmed. Well, how are we feeling about them before this news? Because things haven't been going as well as perhaps we would have liked at this point. I think with the Sixers specifically, I'm very much in the camp of the last two weeks don't matter mm-hmm. because they've been like actively not trying in some games. Well, just it's because, like, like they tried yeah. in the Bucks game and the Bucks right, and like exactly. I think if you if you're looking at a glass half full, you can say like you know that that Bucks game was was like that's the team you're going to get. That's in the, the team you hope to see in the yeah. playoffs. That's why I personally can't really quit them in a lot of ways. Like when I keep thinking about the East and whatnot, I keep coming back to them as sort of who I like mm-hmm. because I just, again, to Chris's point, like their five guys are so good and Embiid is so good when he's, when he's healthy and when he's really rolling and, and motivated. And like, again, against a team like the Bucks, he really was that I, I want to like make the, make the call that like, they're just, because they're the most talented, they're going to, they're going to be there at the end of it all. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, there are certain concerns just about the fit and, and how much time they've uh, played together, the five of them. But well, I don't know. The one thing we were saying about their starting five, even though it is among the best, is that fifth spot, it's not as settled as it perhaps should be. That mm-hmm. J.J. Redick spot, the the spot where you're going to need uh, a guy who's capable of, of guarding some of the better, you know, ones and twos of the league. And their first round matchup is against D'Angelo Russell. Now, I don't love the Nets and what they've been doing over the last half of the season. Uh, I think they're really, they're small and they could shoot. And so they have this sort of um, 12th seed quality of the yeah, NCAA yeah. tournament. Yeah. So there's always that factor at play. Uh, but it does seem like the Sixers can squash them for the most part. But the other problem is that type of, D'Angelo is the type of guard that we were worrying about for a while, the Kyrie Irving type. Yeah. Do the Nets like worry you at all? Um. No, I think it's a pretty ideal matchup for them. I'm, I, I'm even down to like the like the limited amount of travel to start with. You know what I mean? Going into, with all due respect to Brooklyn, not like a like a hornet's nest of a of an atmosphere. <laughs> sure. There'll probably be like a quarter of that place will probably be Sixers fans, and I, I think it's like everything about it from Jimmy and JJ and even you know to some extent Tobias having just way more experience than anybody on the Nets. Um, I think that I think ultimately talent wins out in that series, and it shouldn't be that big of a deal. I think it'll be like a five gamer. I think Russell and Spencer Dinwiddie are going to have like a couple of thirty point games that'll get us excited about. Oh, like they're actually like might be pushing the Sixers, and then all the games will end with like a Sixers win. I yeah. think it, yeah, it'll be f- like five games. This is an introduction series for for the Nets. This is for the national audience. Yeah. These are who these guys are. Uh, I think it's important, and we're going to get to this a little bit later, but if we're looking at the free agency games, if if the Nets can prove themselves on a big stage, maybe take this to six games, I wonder which type of guys perk up. I mean, they could be playing against a guy who could be on their team next year, yeah. Jimmy Butler. So let's talk about this. So there's a series of auditions slash pitches going on in the playoffs this season, right? This, this postseason. We just talked about the idea that, uh, you know, we're not even sure, are the Sixers auditioning for Butler or is, all, or is Butler auditioning for the Sixers? So are the Sixers trying to prove to Jimmy we're a title contender? Or is Jimmy trying to prove to the Sixers I'm worth a max? And there's probably a little bit of both, but there's also probably some wandering eyes on both parties. And then there's like larger questions about how far do the Raptors need to go to keep Kawhi? Is that a finals or bust situation? 
And uh, is there anything that could happen with the Warriors that would con- could convince them to keep Durant? So I don't know where you guys want to start. If you want to start, start with, with Butler, since we're already talking about the Sixers, we can kind of briefly do that. But there's these are like the kind of fascinating secondary storylines that I think people are definitely going to be following, especially given the way the NBA has sort of become this, this soap opera about transactional movement. Well, let's start with Butler. I think he's an interesting case because I think we assume that like some of these guys have already made their decisions. Kawhi, more likely than not, is going to flee to L.A., uh, Kyrie Irving, we'll see. But Butler's the guy where it's it's 50-50, it seems like. It seems like whatever they do in the postseason will have a huge effect on not only how he views his situation, but how the team, the yeah. Sixers, view him. Yeah. Everything I think I know about Jimmy Butler tells me that he feels like he doesn't need to audition for anybody. Like, And he, he's convinced that... I agree he, with you, but I do think that he is aware that there is a significant difference between him getting a max contract offer that will basically take him through the rest of his prime and out of it versus uh, a two-year deal or a two-year offer or right. something something a little bit more hired gun-ish, but which you, is not what he wants. But do you think that he feels like he can get that regardless of anything? He will get it regardless. There's that, a lot of money. Yeah. 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 There's just so much money out there. I mean, we talked yesterday about the Lakers being a serious threat and like we can get into like, you know, how good that team would be with Jimmy Butler as their number two player. But I, I just think it's really interesting. The Sixers perspective for me is the biggest part of it. Do they need Jimmy considering that they they mortgaged their future essentially to bring in him and Tobias? Uh, and is, is it what's best for them? Mm-hmm. Are you stunting Ben's growth? Or is Are you it, stunting Zaire Smith's growth? <laughs> yeah. If we ever, if he's still alive, he's yes. great. You have, he's, yeah. he's great. No I like him more than a lockdown defender. He's better than Siakam. Just keep the wow. peanuts away from him. <laughs> I love it. Let's go. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> but he's the thinking man, Siakam. If yeah. you're basing, if we're saying the strength of this team is based around their top four and five, Jimmy is one of them. Mm-hmm. Do you want to be that team, or do you want to be a team that's more? Ben centric, Joel centric, and you just you you let him go, and you just put like more Dario and Covington types. No, I back think that this this whole this this playoffs is going to be a fascinating referendum on it. Yeah, can Jimmy Butler be the best player on a title contending team? Does Jimmy Butler as a player mind not being the best player, but on a title contending team? Like, there's so many different questions about this, and also just in terms of the ecosystem of the Sixers. What does it mean, like, if Jimmy Butler is getting X amount of looks, especially if Jimmy Butler is like the the, the closer, which is essentially yes. the the role that they've uh, given him and that he wants? How does that trickle down and ripple effect into other players on the roster? How does it affect the Tobiases, the JJs, and specifically Ben? You know, like it's it's just a really fascinating question. There's there's a version of this team where two of the starters, in some ways, shouldn't. It's not that they shouldn't be on the floor. But Ben can't shoot and JJ can't defend. <laughs> so there's an argument to be made that you shouldn't have them on closing games. Right, you know what I mean? Right. Like, or that you're going to need to do offense-defense switching. And it's, a, it's just a really, really interesting time for that team. It's a weird team. Like, just roster. Super wise, It's extremely So talented weird. and kind of has its own funky logic to it. But, you know, it, it's, it's, it, in a weird way, it doesn't cost the Sixers anything to go after Jimmy, like to keep Jimmy. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. they got his bird rights for a reason. But if they think that it's addition by subtraction, we'll find out. I well, do think that the closer thing is very interesting because we often talk about how guys would be better off in situations where they, they don't have to do everything, sort of like a Damian Lillard has to do in, in Portland. 
And I wonder if Jimmy sees that and if he gets the the money he wants or at least a, a portion of the money he wants, does he see that as an opportunity to win in a context where he can be that closer guy? Because like that's what he's that's what they're letting him be right now. And I almost think that's kind of perfect. And I'm very curious to see what that looks like in the playoff. Because when it's tied game, two minutes left, you're going to need him. Yeah, I don't want to go down too big of a Sixers rabbit hole. But what does that mean, though, for guys like Ben and Joel if they are never going to really be the person who gets the ball in the last two minutes? Right. If they're not the player of consequence in the end of games. Because we're basically saying if sure. we're mapping out the hierarchy, which like, I don't know how much that matters if everyone's given, getting along, but it does seem like this is a team of egos and that's going to be there regardless. Is it, it's, if it's Joel, Jimmy, and then Ben, that's not a good look for Ben Simmons, a guy that we all like prophesize is like the next face of the, fr- of the franchise and mm-hmm. perhaps the NBA as, as recently as last year. Mm-hmm. I mean, we wrote, Kevin O'Connor wrote, going into the playoffs that if like how Ben Simmons shoots will define the NBA playoffs and to a large degree he was kind of right so it's just a it's a fascinating like mixture of personalities that I think like yes we go too far sometimes talking about that stuff but in this case I feel like it's well they're so on the surface with all of it they don't there's not there's no spurs like omerta about talking about (laughs) behind the scenes stuff I mean Jimmy Butler yelling at Brett Brown that stuff leaked out We've had open conversations and Brett Brown talked to Zach Lowe about Ben and, and uh, Joel's relationship. There is a degree to which I think it's equally important for the Sixers to keep Tobias Harris happy because in a lot of ways, his game is the skeleton key for this entire team because yeah. his ability to shoot, but his ability to do so with, and score without the ball in his hands constantly is like a really big factor in this team going forward. So I would prefer it if we could just move on to concern trolling the Raptors, though. Is that okay? Yes, please. Thanks. Uh, Well, I mean, let's talk about that. Kawhi Leonard, obviously, things have gone quite well. Uh, He's been able to take off several games just just hanging out, essentially. Uh, They won 58 games. uh, That's second in the East. I am very high on this Raptors team going into the playoffs. The, 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 the Justin Verrier, Danny Chow office is <laughs> yeah, the, just, yeah. the the political information division of the Toronto <laughs> Raptors right now. Danny, perhaps I'm just getting high off of his optimism just regularly. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I like how they've been playing with Marcus Gasol in there. I have concerns about Gasol on defense, but even if that comes to bear, even if uh, teams expose him in the pick and roll, uh, I do think you know they could just throw in Serge Ibaka, and they've been much better defensively with Serge Ibaka. So they have this ability to mix and match. Uh, their bench is a concern as well. But if we're again we're saying the best players often win the series, uh, they have a few of those guys. Now, I'm a little concerned that if they don't win the finals, <laughs> that they'll probably lose like if they don't Kawhi. win the entire the, the yeah. Larry O'Brien Trophy. Yeah, like I I asked Danny this, who is pretty tapped into the Toronto scene. Uh, he said that if they don't go six games in the NBA Finals, he expects Kawhi to leave, which specific. is a very bleak outlook. Now, maybe that's, that's a, so specific. Yeah. Well, let's look at it. If we're saying that the Clippers are this model franchise now and they have all of these young guys with whom they could build something, you could just pop Kawhi in there and then you have an instant contender or you could flip them for an Anthony Davis type and just build the super team that the Lakers aren't. And then you look at what the Raptors have. Yes, Pascal Siakam is coming of age right before our eyes and it's been great. And I think that's going to be a big thing to track in this postseason because he is kind of... Uh, you know, he's the X factor. He's the growth stock, yeah, essentially. Yeah, yeah. But 
Kyle Lowry on the downside of his career playing well, but he's dealt with injuries throughout the year, back and all these other kind of scary things. And other than that, there isn't much. Marcus Saul, they really got for this year. He has a contract option for yeah. next year, but he's clearly showing age. Serge Ibaka on a big contract, again, a little bit older. It's just, it's a team built for now and not for two years from now. And if I'm a free agent, if I'm Kawhi, I'm, I want to go where we're incredible two years from now. That's a good point. I also think that maybe, I don't. I obviously don't know, but sometimes it feels like the choice may be as simple as, I just want to be in Los Angeles, you know? And like, that's and, if that's, and if that's it, then maybe it doesn't even matter if they win the finals, you know? Listen, it's cold as fuck in Toronto. And and if you're if that's a big deal to you, yeah. if you yeah, are living that's, an hour away from the facility and you like, you never see the light, like... I think I it's pretty interesting to imagine it needing to be a finals or bust kind of situation for Kawhi, but I actually think that the the it's closer to what you guys just said. I think it's closer yeah. to like Kawhi wakes up one day and decides on a plan for his life that doesn't include Toronto because I think that's what happened with San Antonio. You know, yeah, there's the reasons for leaving San Antonio are well, like a list of like one is <laughs> like it's not that big of a city. Right. Otherwise, you're in the perfect basketball environment. Well, the medical stuff too. Yeah, that's true. That could happen everywhere, though. Yeah, I mean, you know what I mean, like, he, he, I mean, like, they've been treating him. I don't know with kid gloves in Toronto, but like, yeah, it seems like he gets to take a lot of games off. Kevin Durant, another example of this. He just pretty much just wanted to play a different style of basketball. He wanted something different for his mm-hmm. life. Uh, often, yeah, we we often look at the situations. We think which of these teams are best for like their skill set, but a lot of times it comes down to a personal decision. But I still think. Even if we're just looking at like the basketball side of things, I'm very optimistic about what he could do in perhaps a Clippers environment. Yeah, no, totally, and that's why that makes sense, right? Because it could be they could be a top four West team if they just added him, and they could be something else entirely if they, like you said, kind of went for a win now team, you know, traded for Anthony Davis or something like that. So who's next on this list? The audition list is it Kyrie? Uh, I have Kevin Durant here as written down, but I, I think that that is, <laughs> well, the cool thing about this is that we're going to find out so early because they're going to play the Rockets in the second round. Yeah. So that. this, this, uh, if he doesn't like being asked about this, he's going to get asked about it a lot earlier than he expected because it's going to come up in the Houston series where it's like, have you thought about if this could be your last series with Golden State? Have you thought about how this could be your last game at Oracle? Have you thought about this? You know, and that is going to, I don't know if it's going to chip away at the chemistry of the Warriors, which is like, I think that they have moved a little bit towards their, you know, late 2010s or late first decade of the 2000s Celtics period where they're like, our version of flipping the switch is like, we go from the lights are already on to we're electrocuting the entire neighborhood. But they have definitely not played as well as they have in the past. And they definitely seem to be a little bit more out of sorts. And you get bad clay games and, and like moody KD games where he gets teed up constantly. And I think that there's a couple more question marks around them. The question here is like, is this a fait accompli and the Warriors know that Kevin Durant is leaving and they're not going to bend over backwards to like convince him? And also, what other things could change about the Warriors? Because not, not you know, the, I think it's very speculative, but there has been some conversation about Bob Myers being a candidate for the Lakers job and that they could just basically be like, here are the keys to him. And... I think the Warriors would probably do everything they could to keep Myers happy, and they certainly have the money to do so, and they're moving into a new arena. But 
Really, really, really interesting moment for the Warriors. Yeah, I think it's really interesting that both the Lakers and the Knicks are on the sidelines, as they so often have been over the past few years, as almost these chaos agents. Just yeah, like the uh, Lakers and Knicks. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, just able to throw lobs in whenever they want. For instance, in the last Knicks game last night, where they got blown off the floor. Yeah by the Pistons without Blake Griffin. Uh, they had these like signs on the seats where it's like, welcome to a new era. Yeah. So they very much think that things are, are going to be sunshiny like in the very near future. Well, everybody seems to think that. Like It's almost being talked about as, oh, this is happening already. And maybe from the Warriors' perspective, the, self, the self-awareness to, to acknowledge that and to sort of just be like, all right, like, let's just win now. You know what I'm saying? Like It yeah. may be their best move. And maybe they've gotten good at compartmentalizing that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because even though the like the Warriors and some of these playoff teams are in playoff mode, they very much want to block out all the noise. They want to walk in with their headphones on and just like zero dark twenty three time. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> oh, we're not going to get that this year. No, it's no. a bummer. Why don't you do zero dark twenty three? Yes. Okay. Zero dark barrier. Uh, just no tweets from Shut me. Shut down your notoriously chatty Twitter account <laughs> <laughs> and my Instagram presence. All the like two photos I've posted in the past three years. Uh, I mean. The rest of the world goes on, and I wonder if, like, there are certain, like, media types sharpening their knives or just, like, working on stories that they're going to hit right in the middle of a Warriors Rocket series. I don't I don't know anything. I'm just speculating. But these are the type of things that come up yeah. around. Now, here's a conspiracy theory. Would it help Hell yes. if Steph got hurt again? Wow. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a conspiracy theory. No, but you're trying to say, is there a— a scenario. So basically, we want to answer the central question here: is like, what's the scenario in which the Warriors keep Durant? Right. I think, and I you think, think Durant hero ball is it? Yeah, I think the scenario where the Warriors keep Durant is Durant changes his mind, as he sometimes is known to do, and just like is like, all right, I think I'm going to stay here for another year. Like, I literally think it is as simple as like him. Maybe, maybe that that depends on losing in the finals, for example, or losing to the Rockets, and then he's like, all right, I think I'm. I want to stay here. Do you think if you're the Warriors, you are like you can stay here for four years, or you can go? Like, or, it's or would, either, you, wow. would you do? Would you do a one another one and one with Durant? I would just yeah, I would do whatever he wants. I mean, I think that taking That's Kevin Durant, question. Steph Curry, and Clay Thompson and Draymond Green into the new stadium would be great for them. Yeah, but I do wonder whether or not they would like to get back to a slightly more like harmonious situation for that team no i get it they probably want to want some stability and going forward and how I mean, to that's probably out. as much about draymond and or whatever than it is about kevin durant but i i just you know think it, it i was just curious because like the the lebron four-year deal he's always been such a trendsetter and i was you know he he did some one-on-ones and one-on-ones and then he finally was like i'm here for four years do whatever you're gonna do yeah i'm, I'm sure it's frustrating I, I on the other hand would be like kevin durant what do you want do you want us to send draymond green to china yeah we will do that i'm sure for bob you. myers <laughs> is gonna say the same thing yeah i mean we yeah. had something on the side today uh, uh jonathan charks just talking about how good kevin durant is and now charks being from Texas is very pro. Can we talk about how how much uh, you'd almost think that like Texas was like Bill, the Bill is secretly from Texas? There's so <laughs> much Texas content from Sharks these days. Yeah, I know. Just yeah. like repping Love Yeah, repping yeah. Durant. Yeah, he had a, a big thing the other day on Dirk and, and saying farewell to his uh his favorite son or is it father? I don't know. What's the <laughs> yeah? That's what, a good what, question. Yeah. What do we do? There? So I don't know. Like I also think it's interesting that. 
if they're going to face the Thunder, the Warriors are, it would come in the Western Conference Finals. I want that so bad. I think this breaks well for the Bob Myers and the Warriors in terms of trying to keep Durant. Because let's say they get through the Rockets. Mm -hmm. Then all of a sudden... They smoke whoever they get in in the Conference Finals. Well, it's that, but it's also the emotional stakes there of facing a Thunder yeah. team that you left, like, how, what, four years ago now? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what led you to go to the Warriors. I wonder if it's like a remembering the good old times sure. sort of thing. This is this is really deep psychological I like analysis, but yeah. I, I think it could bode well for them, is what I'm saying. Or maybe it's just the reverse, where just like that series eventually led him to the Warriors that series could eventually lead him back to the thunder conspiracy theory we've gone through these auditions where there's a lot of ambiguity about like what does the player want what does the team want if there's a place where I think there's been zero ambiguity about how well there's been some ambiguity but less ambiguity about how a player feels about where he is in his career uh, where he's playing how he feels about the game of basketball it's Kyrie Irving and the Boston Celtics who've probably been and it, it really pains me to say it, the underachieving team of the year. Yeah, you, you seem upset. <laughs> you said that with a smile. <laughs> you get, perfect. You, get a you hate to, look at, to see it. At Bill's Instagram? No. Oh, yeah. What you, you, you might want to check that out. What did he say? <laughs> there happens to be a photo of you and him <laughs> in a certain lot cafeteria. Oh, and him giving me the middle finger? It might be. He needs to. He should worry about uh, Miles Turner. <laughs> Before he worries about me. (laughs) So, yeah. So, they're in the 4-5 series. They're playing the Pacers. They have home court advantage. Marcus Smart uh, doesn't look like he's going to be around for a little while. I think it's a torn First two rounds, yeah. Not great for a team that relied on him. Having said that, I don't feel worried about the Pacers at all. I think there's a possibility that goes six games, maybe longer than it should. But I'm looking at this Pacers roster. I'm like, who is hurting them? If this is just like a duel between Bojan Bogdanovic uh, and Kyrie Irving, I'm going to take Kyrie Irving like 10 times out of 10, even Mm -hmm. if he's like spending like the halftime breaks in meditation mode doing whatever he does. (laughs) I don't know. I just I just think this is this is a much more clear cut than I think we're we're giving it credit. Or it could be more complicated than we're thinking. Oh, turning the tables on me. I like it. I think that I mean, maybe I'm just trying to will this into existence, but I think there could be some. The smart thing makes it so that players on this team are going to feel like there's an extra burden to fill that void. Specifically, maybe like a Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum. And that could in turn affect how they perform and how Kyrie maybe gets frustrated by the way, you know, the the, the, the players around him are trying to compensate for that. Like, I think there's a little room for chaos here. Yeah. There's a lot of room for chaos yeah, both for the Celtics. It's yeah. very reminiscent of last year's first round where, you know, LeBron was LeBron, but the, everything around him was in flux. Mm-hmm. He pretty much had to win that series by himself. And Kyrie is not only leaning into LeBron as just like a, a leader in air quotes and or just a personality type, but also as a, as a, and also as a an ideal for a paradigm for management, like a personality <laughs> management, about how you like keep people on their toes and stuff. Yeah, but he is this also this force on offense, you can will a team to victory. And yeah. I, uh, I think it's the same thing. And if anything, like the Pacers are worse than that because they don't have Victor Oladipo. Mm-hmm. It's, it's great that Boyan Bogdanovich showed up last year. In it's the hot LeBron pick is to pick stuff. Indiana here. Yeah. I, I do think Boston will win the first this series, but I, I also think that it's going to take, you're talking about what it takes for Ka- Kawhi to stay. Like, I think that, I think Kyrie's gone. 
I just don't think he can. They can. I don't think the Celtics want him back in terms of like the Celtics fans, and I don't think he wants to come back. I guess the question. Oh, the, and the fans. A, so it'll yeah. be very. It'll be very curious to see. I'll be very curious to see if you don't want him and he doesn't want to be there. How good can you be in that situation? Right. I. I mean, I just go back to the Anthony Davis situation. Yeah. I mean. I think we're, we'll say that like they didn't ever get a chance to play together, but I wonder if the Celtics, in the meantime, can essentially lock up an Anthony Davis trade and go to Kyrie and be like, just stay for one more year. You guys could have this year together. So they, you, you think that Boston, with their measured, we're going to keep all our powder dry thing, would go and say, we're trading the farm for Anthony Davis, and we're putting the, the franchise in the hands of two guys who have seemed less than committed to playing for the teams that they were on this season. One can't even dress himself. And one can't even dress himself. <laughs> and, when he, and, and whoever does dress him is like, LOL, let's put a Looney Tunes t-shirt <laughs> on this adult. Yeah. Yeah, what a what a end to the Anthony Davis. So I'm just saying, like, do you think that that's Danny Ainge's vision for the future? Is Anthony Davis... I mean, I guess... I think that at the end of the day, most of these guys are like, if there's a way in which you get Anthony Davis and Kyrie Irving, you just worry about everything tomorrow. Yeah, I mean, what's the other side of things? It's a team based around Jason Tatum. Like, I'm at the point where if the Pelicans think that Jason Tatum can be the guy in a package, like, as their front line, we want this one person. Right. Just go for it. Yeah. I think Kyrie and Anthony Davis can be incredible together. I think they have a a strong enough relationship that I wonder if that comes into play with Kyrie choosing between Durant or, or Davis. And I think if it's just, like, the two of them, Marcus Smart and, like, a couple other guys... I think they're probably going to win these next year. Interesting. But do the do you think that for that to happen, they need to get to a certain level in the playoffs? Like, I like I wonder, like if they somehow lose, but not the really, round. right? Because that whatever this team is that gets to this certain level in the playoffs isn't going to be there next year when they bring Anthony Davis in because they're going to have to trade Tatum, yeah. and whoever else to get him. Yeah, I, I think for them, I think this is all going to come down to what they're doing in the background with New Orleans. And now New Orleans still has to figure out their front office situation. Yeah, they're, that's they're, the thing. They're still It's yeah. so wild that on. New yeah. Orleans and the Lakers and to some extent the Timberwolves and all these teams have these basically mysterious front offices. There's a lot of coaching volatility. Yeah. All this is happening in the background of a postseason where depending on where, the reason why we, we wanted to do this storyline is because to depending on where three or four of these guys get in the playoffs, you could see the league change for the next two or three years because of it. So it, it, it's it's such a crucial, crucial postseason. Both It'll be crucial because we want to see some good basketball after two or three weeks of just absolute shit. But we also want to see like, okay, so how happy do these guys look? Yeah. And where would they rather be playing? And we've seen this happen already. So it's not like we're putting too much stock into games because we've seen what oh, happened with no. Kevin Durant, yeah. Yeah. you know, yeah. left the Thunder. So... That's just going to be fascinating, I think, from that standpoint. I think it also broke well for the Celtics just in terms of draft picks. I mean, I, literally, this could come down to the lottery, mm-hmm. where if the Knicks get one, are they willing to trade Zion? If they get two, is that does that actually work better for them? Because then they don't have the Zion decision. They could just trade that willingly, and then you're looking at Kyrie, KD, AD. Um, at the same time, the Celtics most likely will get the the Grizzlies pick and the Kings pick. Mm-hmm. So they have two lottery picks in their coffers. Which Late lottery, but yes. Late. Late lotteries in a top heavy draft. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just saying, yeah. I mean, like, we, yeah, no, I, I 100% agree with that. We say this every year where it's like, there are two players in this draft, and then Donovan Mitchell is yeah. like, yeah, I know. Right. Yeah. So we'll see. I don't know when I became such a Celtics apologist. I know. Yeah. You're just like, the Celtics should draft Kyle Guy and yeah. go forward into that. Just random with like, shooters. Yeah. Yeah. I watched that game. He, he seems like a nice guy. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's, um, let's wrap it up. Let's talk about briefly, though. 
our most anticipated matchups. Can I go first? Yeah. Because I, I cannot, cannot wait for Portland, Oklahoma. Okay. So sick. It's just like those games this year I watched... Fennessy and I were watching the last one, or the I think it was one of the one of the last ones of the season in in Texas together, and we were just like, "This is ridiculous! How fun this game is!" The two state two fan bases are at, it's the closest thing we'll have to college basketball. It'll be yeah. like basically like an ACC game, um, and I think that like it's so much to prove on both sides for Stotts, for Donovan, for Westbrook, for George, for for Dame. The, the is Portland going to be able to keep this? core together is that enough for this fan base also like what happens next year because they don't have a really clear ownership situation and Olshay is another guy who's been in the mix for has been th- names been thrown out there for the Lakers so we could see a totally different Blazers team next year this Thunder team which is weirdly like constructed to win right now and has been so banged up this year but at times can look not quite unbeatable, but really formidable. Mm-hmm. I, I, I just can't wait for the Thunder yeah. Blazers. Like, first-round series is usually aren't this electric. Right. I think a stylistic matchup there is interesting, too, because you have one team whose identity, if you will, is sort of defense, yeah. and the other team who just has to rely on so much offense from yes. their guards. So is that your one you're looking for? Yeah, to? I guess if I were to... I wish Nurk was one. playing, because Nurk and Adams yeah, would also be just so be fun. such a great matchup. I guess you Cantor and Adams now, which, <laughs> yikes. Um, oh, yeah, a little retribution. Yeah, yeah. there you go. Little stash uh, bros. I'm weirdly interested in Celtics Pacers. Just I know it's not going to be like... East Coast m- bias from, from most. Paolo. Yeah, that's me. Um, the most aesthetically appealing, but I do, I do just want to see how the Celtics counter any kind of pressure from because I think the Pacers will be sound and they will be good and they will not let up and I think that will put a lot of pressure on the Celtics to 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 not just win but to dominate in a way that they should given the talent they have yeah I, I'm gonna go with Houston Utah yeah I'm interested in the Warriors and the Clippers just because I think watching the young Clippers team uh, has been fun and uh, as I said I'm really high high in their future and I do wonder how they like go up against uh, some of those guys, they're kind of like almost assembling a mini Warriors mm-hmm. little situation where sure. where you have a Shea and a Shaman and a Shaman. Well, Shaman's small, but like reminds me of Clay in the way that he can come off the screen. Sure. And, he's the only rookie other than Steph who's had more than I think 400 threes. He's also got a similar like disposition to Clay in terms of like, and yeah, like, doesn't seem rattled by any moment. Got traded yeah. midseason, just kind of like kept playing. Right. He, Turns out when Jerry West wants your player, you shouldn't give him away. Do you, do you wish he was still in the Sixers? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But I do think the, the Houston Utah series is going to be an interesting clash of styles. Uh, like I said, I, I, I think the Rockets are probably the biggest. Uh, adversary on the board for for Golden State, and so uh, what happens there, I think, is going to have a trickle down effect that might like dictate the playoffs, the entire playoffs. Uh, I also think it's the type of thing where we might see two wins from Houston at home, and then all of a sudden, you know, someone figures something out, and then the next game is different. It's very, very much like Boston yeah. last year, right? Yeah, uh, and those series are always the most fun to me, especially um, considering that the ease is pretty much yeah, the wash. adjustment series. Yeah, the yeah. adjustment series are always the most fun. To I'm me. also excited to watch the Spurs Nuggets. Boy, you really are into boring <laughs> basketball. <laughs> no, no, no. For a particular reason okay. of, of of watching the Spurs win that series. There oh. <laughs> we go. He's Punch it in. Nice claim. All right, so <laughs> let's let's put everybody on the record here. Yeah, Golden State again. Let's, to, let's, to, final, to let's finals. Fi- yeah, let's do our finals matchups. I'm not going to get complicated. It's Bucks Golden State. Uh, Golden State Sixers. Wow, I'm going to go with Bucks and, and Warriors. And too. I think the Bucks are going to win. <laughs> nice. Let's end it there. All right. For for Chris, for Paolo, um, Justin. We'll I probably be back. just got banned from Ricky Sanchez for saying that. 
we'll be back. I believe we're recording uh, Wednesday nights now, so we'll have that up for you. Uh, yeah, all Ringer thing. NBA, most of the Ringer NBA shows during the week will be there for you on the East Coast in the morning when you get up. So, we'll, whatever time at night they go up, you'll you'll probably be able to hear in the morning. Let's do it. So until then, uh, enjoy the playoffs. Basketball is very good. Basketball is very good.